Thank you for downloading the podcast. We believe the Word of God will richly bless you today. Now let's get right into the Word with Pastor Rusty Martin. Let's bring a Bible to church. Amen. Praise God. I love to go fishing. When I do, I take a fishing rod and reel and bait. I've noticed I catch more fish. Yesterday I went duck hunting and saw a lot of ducks, but there were a few that I did more than see because I, was ha- I had what was necessary to bring them into my possession. One of the things that will help you bring into possession the promises of God is your own Bible. If you do not have a Bible and there's no way for you to get one, come see us. We'll make sure that you get a Bible. But a Bible is something that should be very personal. It should be the most valuable thing that you own. There should be nothing in your life that's more valuable than your Bible, your very own personal Bible. Uh, You should read it. You should write in it. You should make notes in it. You should bring it to church every service. You should hang on to it. I remember one time I was preaching at a conference up in the north part of the country. And uh, uh, this conference had several large, big-name speakers in it. And then for some reason they had me. And so uh, they had somebody assigned to each speaker. And so I'd get out of the car. And every time I'd get out of the car, there'd be a guy there that said, you know, give me your Bible. And I said, I ain't giving you my Bible. He was, and yet just time after time, I could tell he was getting real frustrated. So finally, I, I, I had him back. We were sitting in the green room. I said, come here. He went over there and sat down. I said, now listen, I ain't got nothing against you, but this is the most valuable possession that I possess, my Bible. And I don't trust anybody with it but me. That's why I don't let you. These other preachers, you can carry their Bible, their briefcase, whatever, but me, I carry my own Bible. I write in it. If you've got a Bible so holy that you can't write in it, get you one that's not so holy so that you can write in it, amen, and make notes, make quotations. You ought to wear out a Bible about every year to 18 months to two years. You ought to just wear one out where you've got to put it on the shelf and get you another one. I've always said this. You have one of two things. You either have a tore-up Bible or a tore-up life. Let me say that again. You either have a tore-up Bible or a tore-up life. It's better to have a tore-up Bible. You dig in it. You pray. It ought to have tear stains on it. It ought to have all kinds of stuff on it. For you've had it everywhere. I remember one Bible I had, I carried it all over the world with me. It had more stuff. I had to clean it several times because it had all kinds of stuff from the Philippines, from Haiti. It had all kind of grit and crud on it. But I guarantee you that Bible took me all over the world. It's one of my most valued possessions. It sits in my library right now. So always bring your Bible. Everybody say, always bring your Bible to church. Second Corinthians this morning where we left off last week. Let me read the... Scripture real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Now the Lord is that spirit. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Everybody say liberty. Then verse 18 says, But we all beholding with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed. Everybody say change. The word metamorpho, which means change from the inside out, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, this infers the growth and development of the believer. I made this illustration or gave this illustration this morning. You will find out through experience that if you get saved, you come to Island Church, you give your heart to the Lord and get filled with the Holy Ghost and water baptized and begin to grow or learn the things of the Lord, learn uh, the way God operates, the Spirit of God, the Word of God, different things like that, you will find this phenomenon to be real. When a person first, first gets saved, it's very easy as a pastor to minister to them. It's very easy to get them healed, 
uh, just to lay hands on them and Jesus ministers to them. It's very easy many times to get financial breakthroughs. But it's amazing as time goes on, as a year, two years, three years, you continue, continue to serve the Lord. It, for you as a believer, it becomes much and much and much more difficult for you to get anything from me. Amen. Now we know you're getting it from the Lord, but you're getting it through the pastor or through the evangelist when he comes, Brother Jeff Spring, uh, from a prophet like Brother Joe Morris, uh, Brother Tim Kilstrom, other men of God, women of God that come into our pulpit, come into our church. You find out, man, when they first come, I just went up there and got healed. But the last couple of times I went up there, I just couldn't seem to receive. The reason is, is God expects you to grow up, to grow up in the things of the Lord. There should be a time in which you do not need. Now listen, there always are times when we'll get beyond our own personal faith. When things happen in our lives, the enemy attacks and we do need ministry too. And God will always provide grace for that, amen? But in the specific general things of life, it should come a point in your life in which you don't need ministry any longer. You're no longer being ministered to, you're someone that's ministering to others. That's called growing up in the things of God or growing up in the things of the Lord. You know, it'd be, it'd be very abnormal for a family to have a baby and to keep that child in a baby state for say 15 to 18 to 20 years. Wouldn't you think that would be abnormal not to allow that child to grow and develop? Well, the same thing's true of the body of Christ. It's not good for people not to grow in the things of the Lord. Many of the problems that you face in life, you will find out that God requires of you to outgrow them. You can outgrow poverty. You can outgrow sickness and disease. You can outgrow addiction and affliction. You can outgrow depression. God wants you to outgrow things so that you don't end up back at a place where you were vulnerable to that in the first place. Let me say it like this. Many times when we pray, in our own mind's eye, we see a time. Say our body's in pain. And we look back, you know, two weeks ago when our body wasn't in pain. And so we're praying and believe God for healing to manifest in our bodies. But our vision or our, or, our, or our mind's eye sees three weeks ago when we were not in pain. But God does not want to deliver you back to three weeks ago when you weren't in pain. He wants to deliver you in another place so you won't be vulnerable to that pain any longer. Amen. Same thing financially. Same thing with your mind. Same thing in every area of your life. But in order for God to do this, you've got to be willing. You've got to be a person that assists instead of resist change. Ow. I said, you got to be a person that assists and not resist change. Again, the word change, metamorpho, to change from the inside out. We likened it to a caterpillar that turns into a butterfly. When you see a butterfly, you don't think flying worm. You think caterpillar, Amen. You're now a new creature in Christ. God wants, on the ins what God wants what he has put on the inside of you to make it to the outside. For it to show up in your mind, in your speech, in your behavior, in your physical flesh, in your finances, in the way you react to situations, God wants his, quote, glory to show up in your life. Now, if you will, go back just a couple of pages into 1 Corinthians. Let's look at something for just a minute. Into 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we usually use this when we teach on communion or when we receive communion, but it's very relevant to what we're teaching today. So we're going to lift a couple of scriptures out and look at them for just a minute. It says there in chapter 11, there in verse 31, it says, for if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Now, let me say this right up front. 
In order for change to be a relevant issue in your life, you've got to inventory yourself. Don't live in some strange fantasy. People tend to do that from time to time, to live in some strange idea that I'm okay, you're okay, everything's going to be okay, when in reality that's not going to happen. God will show you things many times that you may not want to see. Heard the, I heard the story of Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln, one of his uh, favorite pastimes was to sit in his office and to look at a particular tree that was on the grounds of the White House. That tree was a beautiful oak that had grown there for many years. One day he saw a squirrel crawl up into that tree. That squirrel disappeared into the tree, so he called the gardener and he said, listen, I want you to go out and check that tree and to see if there's something wrong with that tree because I saw a squirrel disappear. Sure enough, the gardener went up, checked out the tree, and that, that squirrel had gone into a place in the tree that had been hollowed out through rotting. And the tree was in danger, it was going to die, and if they didn't do something about it quick, it could fall over and damage the White House. Well, that was uh, President Lincoln's favorite tree. And so when they were down there chopping that tree and cutting it down, he made this statement. Wish I'd have never saw that squirrel. <laughs> Amen. Let me know what I'm talking about. There are, there are times in our life when we quote, wish we'd have never seen that squirrel. But that squirrel empowered President Lincoln to make a decision that caused something to take place to remove something off of the grounds of the White House that could have caused damage. In our own lives, we must be willing. Now listen to me. We must be willing to judge ourselves. Oh, we become real good at judging each other. We're good at that, so let's set that aside. Amen. No, no, judge ourselves to get honest with ourselves, to look in the mirror and to look at that image looking back at the mirror and to point at it and say, you got some issues, buddy, and we're going to deal with these issues and we're going to see God bring some eternal, everlasting change into our lives so that we can prevent some things that the enemy might be trying to do in our future and so that we can also receive some things that God has for us in the future also. Amen. Are you with me? So just three quick areas, then we'll go back to 2 Corinthians here. Three quick areas. Number one, and I think this is the most important. We must judge ourselves in our love walk. I've always noticed this about our love walk, whether it be as a church, whether we be as individuals. Anytime there's fixing to be a great push of faith, when we've got to step out and believe God, maybe you're doing that for healing, finances, something in your life, a new home, I don't know. But anytime there's a great release of faith, there comes an opportunity to walk in a greater dimension or level of love. Now, love is not feeling. So many times we only equate love to feeling, but we're not talking about that type of love. We're talking about divine love, which is not a feeling. It is an effort. There have been times I've thought, Lord, why would you put this idiot in my life? I'm not talking about Leah. Amen. <laughs> She's a blessing. Amen. You can let me finish my sentence. Amen. Hallelujah. I said something like that to her years ago and I didn't see her for two weeks. And after two weeks, I saw her a little bit out of this eye just begin to open. <laughs> no, no, it's amazing how God will allow people into your life at a point in time which you really don't need that. 
And you think to yourself, I don't want to deal with this person. I don't want to deal with the situations they create. I don't want to deal with who they are. Maybe it's at your job, in your neighborhood or somewhere. And you're being called by God to walk in a level of love you've never walked in before. And it's not a feeling, honey. It's an effort. You've got to make a decision not to judge them. You've got to make a decision to be nice to them. You've got to make a decision. Now listen, that's not a weakness. That's a strength. Faith worketh by love. Every day we ought to judge ourselves. The number one thing I repent over. When I'm in prayer, when I get before the Lord and pray prayers of consecration and I come before the Lord and say, Lord, in areas of my life where I've missed you, the number one area where I repent is in my love walk. Lord, I mean, I should have walked in love toward that person. I should have done this. I should have said that. I should not have said that. I guarantee you, if you will keep yourself judged in the area of your love walk, it will help you in every area in which you're trying to believe God. Amen. Secondly, we ought to judge ourselves in our service toward the Lord. Listen, we're living in 2013, folks. This is the last of the last days. There should be no spectators in the body of Christ, only participants. There's something for you to do. You say, well, I just came to this church. Well, hang around a little while. We'll find something for you to do. God will create a place for every person that desires to do something for the Lord. I'm not saying everybody's called to be a pastor, a prophet, apostle, evangelist, or teacher, but every person is called to be a carrier of the word of God, to be a soul winner, to lay hands on the sick, to cast out devils, to go out into your world and to be the written epistle of Jesus to every person you come across. God desires that for you and you ought to judge yourself every day. Am I doing something in the kingdom? Am I doing something for the Lord? Amen? Now this third one may be out of place, but when you give me a, a second to expound on it, you'll see what I'm saying. The third area we need to judge ourselves on, and this is an important area, is money. Now don't get afraid. Don't look at it. We're not going to take another offering. We've already taken our offering. I'm not trying to manipulate. I'm not trying to do anything like that. But money holds great power over people. If people spend time worrying about anything across the board, they spend time worrying about money. Finances. What are we going to do, Pastor? We could go into another recession. We could go into another depression. What's the physical cliff mean? What if our taxes go up? What about the price of gasoline and bread? Yeah, 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 all day long. If you let it, listen to me. If you let it, money will torment you. It will cause fear to rise up. I don't care about how much you have or don't have. It does not matter. You will be insecure. You will never feel blessed. But if you will obey God and judge yourself in the area of money, it will not be your master. It will be your servant. Let me say that again. It will not be your master. So many Christians are in bondage to money. It is their master. It tells them what they can do. It tells them what they cannot do. It tells them when they can tithe. It tells them when they can give. And it tells them when they can't tithe and when they cannot. You shouldn't obey your money. You ought to obey the word. Times in Lee and I's lives, we gave it all away. There was nothing left. We willingly did it. We said, God, we know you're big enough to take care of us no matter what, no matter where, no matter when. As I said earlier, David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. Let me say this unequivocally. God will take care of you financially. God will take care of you financially. Don't you serve money and not God. Don't you put money above God. Don't you do it. It will be a source of continual torment in your life. And you may have millions of dollars. It'll still be a torment. 
You may have nothing. It'll still be a torment. You give that over to the Lord. You say, Lord, I trust you. I'm going to do my best to tithe. I'm going to do my best to offer. I'm going to be a giving, a willing, giving person. And in so doing, I trust you totally to take care of me financially. I'm going to take it. I did this years ago and it's helped me. I've done this and I've rolled the care of it over on you. Right now, we're facing as a church, Lee and I, as ministers, we are facing the greatest financial challenge we've ever faced as a church. You say, what is that? We need approximately $5 million. Thank God for the money we've received in our banquets and our giving towards, toward our uh, uh, building. But here's the thing, folks. You don't build churches with $150,000. You need millions. Everybody say millions. You say, well, what are you going to do? We're going to trust God. And I have already rolled the care of that over on the Lord. You say, aren't you worried? Aren't you fretting? How are we going to get the money? Maybe God will tell you to invest in something. Maybe you ought to do this. Maybe you ought to go to Las Vegas, see if you can double it or triple it. No, you don't do that. When God tells us to sow, we sow. When he tells us to give, we give. But other than that, we trust the Lord. And you watch. God will produce what we need as a church. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. He is faithful to his word and faithful to do what he said he's going to do. If he's not going to do it, why has he put the desire in us? Why are we going after it? Why is he opening the doors? It's because he's fixing to do the greatest miracle this island has ever seen in a church. And people are going to be amazed and come from all around to see what the Lord has done. Amen. And we're not letting money telling us, tell us what we can. I'm just, I'm, I'm acting right, right, right now like I've got $5 million in the bank. He said, are you? Yep. I've got the architects going. I've got the design going. We've got the feasibility study going. We're looking at the land. We're doing everything we're do we should be doing just as if we had them all the money. So why would you do that? You're crazy because I've got all the money I need. Just hadn't crossed from the unseen into the seen realm. But it's on its way and I'm not worried about it. And I'm not fretting about it. Judge yourself in that area because in these days ahead, the economy of our nation, it's not going to get better. It's going to get weaker. The, 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 the value of our dollar is not going to get stronger. It's going to get weaker. You say, oh, pastor, what are we going to do? We're going to trust the Lord. I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging for bread. Now, go back to 2 Corinthians. We're talking about change. So, we make a decision to judge ourselves. Now, notice what it says there in 2 Corinthians. It says, But we all with open face, beholding it as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory. Now, last week we kind of looked at this for a minute. Let me bring you up to date, some of you that weren't here. We talked about how change begins with the Word of God. This is why you need to inventory yourself. Look at your life. Make a decision to judge yourself and for you, everybody say for me, to initiate change. Let me say that again. For you, everybody say me. For you to initiate it. Don't let the circumstance do it. Don't let the problem get so big that it forces you to do it. Don't end up flat on your back somewhere saying, I should have done it. You initiate it. You say, God, I need to change in this area. You recognize it. Or when God shows you something, you yield to it and you obey it. Okay, Lord, I know I need to change in this area of my life. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's a financial issue. Maybe it's an issue with your mind. I don't know what it may be, but you know there needs to be supernatural, everlasting, Holy Ghost change. Amen? So it begins by what? Looking into the Word, beholding the glory of God. 
in the Word, we see His glory and God delivering Israel and all that God did through the Old Covenant, the New Covenant. We see the glory of God. So we need the Word. The Word is our power source. Because, honey, if you can change in an area in which you do not need God, you go ahead and change. But God will require change in your life in areas in which you cannot change yourself. You must have power. Everybody say power. power. Say it again. Power. Say it again. Power. You must have some power to change. So that begins with the word. You are holding in your hand, you that have a Bible, or some of you I know have gotten more uh, electronic, so you've got a, uh, an iPad or something like that. You're holding in your hand the power source of the universe. Let me say it again. You are holding in your hand more power than a nuclear weapon, more power than all the energy plants combined, more power than all the coal they can burn, more power than economic power, more power than political power, more power than medical power. You got all the power of God himself. He said he upholds all things by his mighty word of power. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ for it is the power, amen? So you need power. In this building, it's been many years back, we got this building. When we walked into it, the only thing that was here was these poles, this ceiling. No, this ceiling wasn't even here, was it? The roof, roof above the ceiling was made out of tin and the walls. There was no power, no electricity, no telephones, no carpet, no air conditioning, no heating system. So out in the alley, some of you know this, uh, there is a, 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 a power, a pole that has been put. There are wires. The distribution system of the electrical company brought to this building power. Now, when they brought power to this building, we hired electricians. West End Electric is the ones that came and did it. And they wired the building. Now, in this building right now, there is unseen power surging through the electrical wires and outlets of this building. It is unseen. But now, the problem we had when we got this building is that, first of all, when we got it, it was kind of in the early spring. And so we know we needed, anybody know? Change. Because you can't have church in a warehouse when it's 110 degrees. You can't have church at night when there's no light. You need an amplification system so the pastor doesn't wear his voice out. You need power for the musical instruments. You need power for the computers. You need all this power so that you can affect what? A change. So they wired the building. Everybody say wired. They wired the building. Now, the first thing we needed was light. Everybody say, let there be light. So they came and they dropped these lights in. And when they dropped these lights in, they hooked the power to the lights and we cut on the switch. And when we cut the switch on, the lights received the power and produced the glory of electricity and the darkness was changed into light. It was too hot. So we found out. We're not that dumb. We found out somebody had invented something called an air conditioner that can actually take the air and cool it down. So we found one and bought it, $120,000. We had to have a special crane come and lift it up on top of the building. And we had air conditioning guys come and they worked and they put this duct work in and they did all of this work. And then one day they took the power and connected it to the instrument, to the invention, 
to the air conditioner. And we cut on the switch, and you know what happened? Change. The hot air left, the cold air came. And there on that hot July, late July day, when they cut on the air conditioner, all of a sudden when it was 110 in here, it became 72. Musical instruments, the sound system, the computers. We have built into the building alarm systems, fire alarm systems. We have burglar alarm. All of these things need power so that they can affect change. Now, you are, the Bible calls you the handiwork of God. It says in Ephesians, you are his handiwork created in his likeness, in his image. So what he wants to do is he wants to hook his power to you so that you can be turned on. Let me say that again. He wants to hook his power to you so you can get turned on. That's not the phrase we used to use back in the 60s. (laughs) Amen. And all the hippies said. I knew there were a few in here. No, no. God wants to turn you on. That's the switch of faith so that everything in your life, what do you bring? You bring change. Your mind change, your attitude change, your desires change. All these things begin to change. You begin the process of change. It continues and continues in your life. God gives you more power and more power and more power and you manifest more glory, more glory, more glory. And next thing you know, your mind has changed, your finances changed, your health has changed, your marriage has changed, your business has changed, and everything about you has changed from glory to glory. Now notice that in the scripture. We are changed how? From. Notice these little words make a lot of difference. From. Everybody say from. How many know where you're from? Anybody know where you're from? If you don't, we'll pray for you. Then we'll get out a map and we'll help you. Most people's problem is they don't know where they're from. They only want to know where they're going. Where am I going? Do you have a word of direction for me? I need to know where to go. Need to know what. But the problem is you can never, ever have everlasting change until you figure out where you're from. Where you're from is where you are. If we were driving around and got lost... And I said, well, you know, let's, let's, let's pull over here and get directions. So I go into the store and the person is working in the convenience store and I walk up to the counter and I say, where am I from? They're going to go. I don't know. Or if you ask them, where am I going? They're going to say, where are you going? The only question relevant to them is this, where am I at? Where you're at is where you're from. Don't live in denial. And I know that's a river in Egypt, but don't live there anyway. <laughs> don't live in denial. I'm okay. You're okay. There's no squirrel in the tree. Everything's going to be all right. I'm okay. You're... That you can't live like that. Amen. You've got to figure out where you are. Locate yourself. I'm mad. I'm hurting. I'm in pain. I'm frustrated. It's okay. That's okay. Don't come around here saying, well, I don't really like going around out in church because they just deny any of that exists. No, we don't. We know there are people sitting right here today. You're hurting. You're mad. You're frustrated. You need money. You need health. You need deliverance. You need these things. Don't deny where you're from. But from the standpoint of where you're from, make a decision to go to. 
Let me say that again. Yeah, sure you're mad. You're frustrated. You've been beat up, tore down, whatever. People have said things. I know that. But recognize that's where I'm from. But I'm not living in from no more. I'm going to. And then I'm going to again. And I'm going because of the law of repetition in the Greek language. That's actually from glory to glory to glory to glory to glory to glory till the glory of the Lord becomes your final reward. So you go from to, 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 to. So there's never any from in your life anymore. But you've got to know where you're from. So here's our problem. We think, yeah, that's the way God does. He's going to take me from one trial to one problem, to one sir. That's how God wants to do it. If we don't judge ourselves, see, Pastor, it said we're chasing of the Lord, so that's why he put cancer on me. That's why he caused me to wreck my car. That's crazy. God doesn't, God doesn't chasten his children like that. God does it with his word. He shows you in the word how to be corrected. He shows you in the word. He takes pastors and prophets and apostles and teachers, and they teach you and they give you the word, and the Holy Ghost comes and assures and fastens that on the inside of you so that you can change and grow up in God. So you don't go from trial and from heartache to heartache to problem to financial problem to, 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 to physical problem. No, you go from glory to glory, to glory, to glory. I've always, I preached a message one time called the glory process. Most people are going from trial to tribulation to problem to situation when God wants you going from glory to glory to glory to glory to glory to glory. So what you do is you see that word of change. You see it in you. Oh, I see that, yeah. I shouldn't be in depression. I shouldn't, my mind shouldn't be tore up the way. The Bible says he's not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Some of you have heard me, excuse me, let me say that again. Some of you have listened to me say that for 10 years, but you've not heard me say it yet. My God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Everybody say sound mind. mind. Say it again. Say it again. So God's given you that. Have you received it? So you find out where you're from. My mind ain't sound. My mind's messed up. I've been depressed. I've been disappointed. I've had problems with my mind. So God says, I want change. So I'm going to give you that word. So all of a sudden you hear, you hear. God's not giving me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. So you begin to think about that. You memorize it. You meditate on it every day. You begin to confess it with the heart, man believeth. With the heart, man believeth. With the heart, man believeth. With the mouth, confession is made unto. So you begin to say, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. You've not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. I'm not going to be depressed anymore. I'm not going to be confused anymore. I'm not going to have to. I had a guy come on time, told me right back there. He came to me and said, man, I'll tell you what. I'm confused by what you were preaching today. I looked at him and I said, no, you weren't. I said, no, you were confused when you walked in here. I said, my preaching just turned the light on your confusion. Now you really recognize you're confused. He looked at me and said, that's right. No, you start meditating. You start thinking about it. You start getting it from your mind into your spirit. You start worshiping God every day. Thank you, Father. You've not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Glory to God, I got a sound mind. I don't have a depressed mind. 
I don't have a mind in turmoil. I don't have a fearful mind. I don't have an intimidated mind. I've got a sound mind. I've got a sound mind. See, the power is starting to work. God's beginning to cause the power to surge into you. Then you turn on that switch of faith. You go from what? Notice the word glory. Now, what is glory? glory the glory of God is what's on the inside of God that comes to the outside. His glory is in creation. Where was creation before it was created? It was in him. So he said, and there was. Are you with me? And then he made you in his likeness and image. So you have to get to the place where the word of God is dwelling richly in you. Where you give expression to what God is saying. We give you opportunities every week. During praise, during worship, to do what? To glory. That's your opportunity to glory. I see some of these praising words. I've seen Sarah sometimes, some of the others. Sometimes they're up there saying, it's like they're fixing to take off. Looks like they're just fixing to take off, go up through the roof. You're like, my goodness, what are they doing? Well, they're really not trying to lead you into praise and worship as much as they are glorying because something has caught a gear in their worship, but you don't have to stand on the stage to do it. See, you go to the to the. Who, who are the Texans, I'm trying to figure out who we are, the Oilers, the Texans, the Cowboys, amen, whatever we are. Anyway, you go to the big game. And what do you do? Well, you've had it all. You've had your ticket. Got my ticket. You go to the stadium. Everybody else, they're excited. It's the big game. And what do you do? You lift your hands. You open your mouth. And you glory in football. Yay! Hooray! Touchdown! Field goal! Fumble! Amen? Come on. How many people you see there like this? <laughs> Nobody but the owner. I noticed that. Amen? No. You give expression. You're a fan. You played junior high football and actually scored a touchdown. And you are connected to football. Therefore, when you go to a football game, you release something on the inside. It comes to the outside. Yay! My team, rock. But see, you come to church and you just what? And you look around everybody else thinking, what are these people doing? Are they crazy? Sure they are. They've lost their mind, got the mind of Christ. That's why you ought to take every opportunity to glory during praise and worship. But that ain't going to put you over. It's what you do personally because it's easy to do it when everybody else is doing it. But see, you start getting that word working on the inside of you. We needed a change in our life years ago, back in 1994-95. I really needed Leah. Leah had her own business and I really needed her in our ministry. Needed her to come. She had administrative skills. She had an anointing to help and so I really needed her. So I'm the kind of person who says, well, I need you. I'll just go get her. And the Lord said, you leave her alone. And she began to re recognize and realize that God was bringing change to her life. The word. I remember we'd go to meetings and people would prophesy over her and say words and speak words. She began to meditate. She began to take the word of God. And I noticed I'd take her to meetings and she'd, man, the power of God would start moving, praise God, and she'd take off and run around the church. And she'd take off and run around the church. She'd get up and dance, run around the church. And I thought to myself, something's going on, something's going on. And the Lord spoke to me one day, he said this, She's running her way out of where she is so that she can run into where I want her to be. 
She's given an expression. There's no other way to do it but to do what? But to worship, to give expression to what's on the inside of you. It says over in Romans, as you yielded your members, servants to uncleanness, even so now yield them as servants unto holiness. And in so doing, what happens? That is your glory. You don't glory in your accomplishments. You don't glory in who you are. You glory in the God of your salvation. That's what David said. I will glory in the God of my salvation. He danced before the Lord, not to the music. He danced to the Lord with all of his might. It didn't make everybody happy, but he didn't care because he was glorying in the God that helped him kill the giant, that helped him kill the lion and the bear, that helped him escape from Saul for years, that gave him Hebron as his, as his capital city, then gave him Jerusalem, the city of God. And here comes the Ark of the Covenant into it. And he says, I've got this on the inside of me. You think I'm gonna wear a crown? There ain't but one king here today. And he started dancing before the Lord with all of his might. He gloried in the God of his salvation. You've got to get that word dwelling in you richly till you come to the place you say, I know in whom I believe that word is working in me. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. I thank you, Lord. It's not an addicted mind. It's not a fearful mind. It's not an intimidated mind. It is a sound mind. See, notice how the devil He's done everything he can do with Christianity and religion to shut you up and sit you down. Don't you say nothing. Don't you do nothing. You sit here reverently. Well, this ain't no funeral home. <laughs> Jesus said, if you don't praise me, the rocks will cry out. Come on, church. What was he trying to do? He was trying to get some of that glory out of them people. They cried, Hosanna, Hosanna. He was getting what? They were glorying. They were, this is the Messiah. Now God's given us his word, his very power source. They only had the spoken word back then and only a few priests and kings and prophets had the Torah or the written word. But now today we have the written word so that it might be spoken, so that we might release the power of it through what? Through meditation, through reading, through memorization, and through glory. You get over here and just start praising God and say, what are you doing? I'm just glorying. Glorying in what? My God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. I just got to release, I got to turn that switch on that takes the power and turns it into the glory. Because if I can get the glory coming out of the power source, I can change the atmosphere. I can change the way it is around my house. I can change my health. I can change the way I think. I can change my finances. God can change anything in my life that I'm willing to submit to and yield to. If you will let him, he will do it. Amen. We are constantly, listen to, listen to me church, as believers, individually and as a church, actually 2012 has probably been the greatest year of change we've ever seen as a church. We changed everything from our schedule times to the, when we meet, the meetings that we meet. You can see this morning, I mean, if we were to take everybody that was here in the first service and everybody here in the second service, we, couldn't we can't house them. We can't do it. So God said, change. Three times in my own flesh, I told Roland, I said, get ready. We're going to a second service. Three times, and all three times, the Lord said, I didn't tell you to do that. I come to Roland. I mean, I'm honest enough. I'm not so prideful that I don't go to my staff and tell them when I've made a mistake. I go to Roland and say, hey, God, we ain't going to do it. But this time when I came, he knew it was different. He knew God was initiating it. God said, change. 
God said go to two services. God said go to Sunday night. God said change Thursday to Wednesday. God said bring more structure. Aren't you, aren't you thankful we got these wonderful ushers now, the way the ushering team operates and our security and, all, and wonderful uh, people that work out at the visitor center and all the structure that is coming. Great change has taken place. You say why? Greater crowds are coming. God's preparing us. God's getting us ready. God's saying, get ready, get ready, get ready. It's happening. It's not going to happen. It's happening right in the midst of you. What's happening? Corporally, change. Individually, change. God is doing it for us from faith to faith and from glory to glory. Amen? Hallelujah. Lift your hands up. Praise the Lord. Lord, we do not want to be resistant to your changes. That which is divine, that which is everlasting, that which is eternal, we want to yield to in Jesus' name. Now, I want to ask everybody, if you will, just be real still for just a minute, minute. Nobody moving around. This is a very important part of our service. Let me ask you a question this morning. Where are you at with the Lord? Are you living right? Are you doing right? Are there areas in your life that do not please God? Maybe you've never given your heart to the Lord. Maybe you've made Him Savior, but not Lord of your life. Maybe you've never even accepted Jesus Christ. He loves you. He cares about you. He does not condemn anybody. He loves every person and He loves us all equally. If you're here today, you say, Pastor, I'm not living right. I'm not doing right. I want to be right with God. Please pray with me. If anybody like that, if that's you, lift your hand right now. Anybody at all. Lift it up high so I can see it. We see one hand. You can put it down after you've lifted it. Another hand, we see. You can put them down after you've lifted another. Church, pray with me just a moment. Just a moment. One more time, I'm going to ask you. Is that you? Do you need to be right with God? I see that other hand. Do you need to be right with God? Don't, don't forsake this moment. God is wanting to bring two things, newness and change into your life. And for you that doubt it, let me say this, things can change. You can't do it, but God can. And He loves you. He's not mad about anything. He cares about you. He knows your problem and He knows how to get you out of it. One more time, I'm gonna look one more time quickly. You say, that's me, Pastor. I need for you to pray with me. Lift your hand up high. Anybody, if you've not lifted it, lift it up high now. Praise God, we see those hands. You can put them down, hallelujah. Now, everybody look this way. I'm gonna do what I said I'm gonna do. I want to pray with you, each and every one of you that has lifted your hand. The church is gonna stand. Now, here's what they're gonna do. They're gonna begin to give you a big hand clap. That applause, that hand clap is for you that have raised your hand. These people here at Island Church, they know what this means. They know this means change in your life. This, they know this means news. They know. They've experienced this. They want you to experience. They're not condemning you. They're not judging you. They're saying, go for it. That's why they're clapping. That's why they're rejoicing. They're saying, go for it. Go up there and pray with the pastor. Don't be afraid. Don't be intimidated. Am I right, Island Church? Then stand on your feet and give them a hand clap. Thank you for joining us today. We trust you enjoyed the podcast. We extend an invitation to you. Come join us in one of our services Sunday morning, 1045. Tuesday prayer, 730. Thursday evening, midweek service, 730. We are located 2411 69th Street, Galveston, Texas. See you there.